The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand on his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord almighty, he is the king of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. Um, my name's Rob Miller, and I'm part of the congregation here. I'm also one of our partner missionaries, and my work is to work with the students at Melbourne University and help the Christian Union there and the Graduate Christian Union to help students become followers of Jesus and to grow in their faith and to be sent out into the world to serve God in the world. And uh, it's great to be here with you, great to be able to share with you today from the Bible and we're beginning a series on worship. We're going to be thinking about what it means to truly worship God and how to be a true worshipper. And so just to start off, I wonder if you would just perhaps close your eyes and imagine a worshipper. Imagine a worshipper. Think about a true worshipper of God. A true worshipper of God. What do you see when you hear those words? Well, I just want you to hold that thought and we'll come back to it a bit later on. And what I want to do today basically is just to tell the story of worship in the Bible and to follow that through and we'll see there are four parts to it or four acts that we could identify as part of the story of worship in the Bible. The first, first act of the story is that we were made to worship, we were made to worship God. That, in fact, this is the right response of people to their creator, to our creator, our maker, our life giver. If God is the one who gave us life, if God is the one who made the world and he uh, is good and powerful and wise and awesome, we can see all that in what God has made, then that God deserves a response of worship. So, for example, we see when in Revelation chapter 4 when we get a glimpse into the heavenly worship. Uh, this is what people say in worshipping God. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. We were made to worship and it's right for us to worship God, our creator. The Psalms call on everyone in the whole world, people of every nation, to come and worship the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who saved Israel out of their captivity in Egypt, is the same God who made the world and therefore all the world should come to worship God. Let me give you a couple of examples from the Psalms. First of all, Psalm 96, verses 8 and 9, says, Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name, bring an offering and come into his courts, worship the Lord in holy splendour, tremble before him, all the earth. 
Or Psalm 117, I'll read the whole psalm for you. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So it's fair to say that we human beings are worshippers by nature, that this is part of the way that God has made us. This is what, something that God has made us for. And he doesn't make, it, make us incapable of doing the thing that he wants us to do. He makes us to be worshippers. But the second act of the story is that human beings fail to worship God. We fail to worship rightly. You might remember from our Roman series, the way that Paul begins his letter by talking about the story of humanity and our failure to be worshippers. He says, For although human beings knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And a little bit further on, he says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Human beings reject God and we don't worship, even though we can know something about God from the world that he has made. We reject that knowledge. We reject God. We don't give thanks the way that we should. We don't acknowledge God. And worse than that, it's not only that we just fail to worship God truly, but then we start to worship other things. We worship created things. We even worship things that we have made. And so Human beings don't stop worshipping, we begin to worship things that we shouldn't worship. So as we look at the world around us, uh, we can see that actually lack of worship is not the problem. There is no lack of worship going on in, the, in our world. Worship is going on all the time. People are constantly worshipping because it's our nature. We're just not worshipping the true God. We worship idols uh, and to worship these things that are not really God has become our second nature now. It's now become our default setting, that this is what we do. Worship things that are not really God. And this is bad for us. It's bad for us. It's a kind of toxic religion. It causes, us, causes harm to us and we cause harm to each other as we pursue worship of these other gods. In the third act... God shows that he's really determined that he will have true worshippers because what he does is he calls a people to belong to himself and to be his worshipping people. God calls the people of Israel to be a nation of worshippers, a nation of priests, he calls them, and he gives them worship. He gives them a way to worship him. He gives them a place to worship. He gives them uh, a means of worship by sacrifice and offerings and their, their, their job really is to lead the whole world in the worship of God. As a priestly nation, they are meant to call the whole world to worship. And uh, God shows them what worship is acceptable. He shows them the kind of person that you need to be in order to truly worship God. And that was what we heard in our reading today. It's a psalm... Uh, which seems to have been written for people who are going to Jerusalem to go up to the temple to worship God. And so it's a kind of pilgrim song. This is a kind of song that you could sing along the way as you were going on your journey to Jerusalem to worship. And it talked about, first of all, how great God is, the maker of the world, 
but then it talked about the kind of person that you needed to be to, to truly worship. And what does it say? You need to be a person with clean hands and a pure heart, someone who doesn't bow down to false idols, someone who's not a worshipper of false gods. And I just wonder sometimes, as people were singing that song, if some of them might not have just got to the point of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going home because I, I can't go up there and worship. I can't do that. I, how, I can't claim to be a person with clean hands and a pure heart. And I have been worshipping other gods. And so maybe they might have given up or that they knew at least that they needed some kind of way of making up for their sin and some kind of way of cleansing their heart before that they worshipped. In fact, the people of Israel failed immediately to be the kind of worshippers that God called them to be. You remember after they met with God at Mount Sinai, they immediately made for themselves a golden calf and bowed down to it. They made a false image of God. And they became false worshippers straight away. And in some ways that just follows through the whole story of the people of Israel, called by God to be worshippers, but failing to worship God truly and even slipping into the worship of idols just like the people around them. So a few weeks ago in our series on the book of Judges, you would have heard you know, the shocking story of Gideon where in the middle of his village, supposedly where the people of Israel are faith, meant to be faithful worshippers of God, they have... Uh, they have an altar to Baal, the, the Canaanite god, uh, and they have some kind of statue or pole of the goddess Asherah as well. That they are worshippers of false gods, um, gods of fertility and prosperity, uh, as well as, maybe as well as or instead of, worshipping the Lord God also. So Israel fails to be the worshippers and the priests that God calls them to be but at least through the story of Israel the issues become clearer what true worship looks like what a kind what a person needs to be in order to worship God and the fourth act is this that God sends Jesus his son and Jesus comes as a member of the people of Israel and he comes as a worshiper he comes as a worshiper a spirit empowered worshiper Jesus succeeds as a worshipper where humanity in general and Israel in particular failed. And you might not have thought about this, uh, that this is kind of going on in the story of Jesus in the Gospels, but it's worth just thinking about what we know from the Gospel story about Jesus as a worshipper. First of all, we see Jesus uh, coming to be baptised, uh, an act of repentance. And Jesus hasn't sinned, he doesn't need forgiveness of his sins, but Jesus is there in his baptism committing himself to God and living God's way and saying no to sin. To, to trying to seek to be one of God's people and to live as a person with clean hands and a pure heart. Then we see Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit going out into the wilderness and he's tempted there by Satan. And Satan tempts Jesus in three ways and the third way in particular is really important from this point of view of this issue of worship because it says Matthew tells us that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor all this I will give you he said if you will bow down 
and worship me. So here is Satan tempting Jesus and the temptation is to false worship. To false worship. So just as human beings tempted by Satan have fallen into false worship, here is Jesus again being tempted to worship, to offer false worship. And, you know, the offer is very generous. You, you, will, you will get the whole world if you'll only worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And at that moment, Jesus commits himself to the worship of God alone and to doing it in a way that the, the law of God, the word of God says. Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy there. So Jesus is committed to living God's way. He's committed to being a worshipper and to living that out in his life. And so we see that through Jesus' career, again and again in different ways, Jesus worshipping God. Particularly in his prayers, we see him praising and giving thanks in various circumstances. So, for example, in Luke chapter 10, uh, Luke tells us about Jesus praying. At that time, Jesus, full of the joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus here is a worshipper rejoicing in the power of Holy Spirit and giving thanks to his heavenly Father. We see Jesus' devotion to the temple, to God's house, in his zeal for uh, right worship, in driving the money changers and the traders out of the temple. Jesus has a passion for the worship that God asks for in the Old Testament. We see Jesus giving thanks for food again and again, ahead of the feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000 and then repeatedly at the Last Supper, Jesus giving thanks for the bread and the wine. We see Jesus giving thanks to God in advance for answering his prayer for Lazarus. We see Jesus praying for his disciples and his followers. In John chapter 17, John tells us about a long prayer that Jesus prayed on behalf of his people, his followers, his disciples. And Jesus there addresses God as his Father, Holy Father, Righteous Father. Here is Jesus depending on his Heavenly Father and praying for his people like a priest, like a priest, like someone acting on behalf of others, not just a worshipper in his own right, but a worshipper on behalf of other people as well. And so here is Jesus presented to us in the Gospels as a true worshipper. In the rest of the New Testament, as the New Testament writers reflect back on what Jesus did, on Jesus' life and death and resurrection, they see Jesus as a faithful worshipper. They see Jesus as someone who was obedient to God, receptive to God's word. They see uh, someone who came not just to go through the motions of worship like offering sacrifices, but actually to do God's will and live a life that's fully honouring to God. And most of all, they see in Jesus' death a sacrifice and an offering for our sins. That again and again, the New Testament will describe Jesus' death for us as an offering or as a sacrifice. Now, 
we're familiar perhaps with those terms just in terms of a way of explaining what Jesus' death achieves for us, right? So, you know, we talk about that. It's a sacrifice. It's a death in our place to take away our sins. And it certainly is that. But it's just worth remembering that that language of offering and sacrifice is also worship language. That in a sense, what Jesus is doing in going to the cross for our sake is offering his life as an act of worship towards God, his heavenly Father. So not just something that that does something for us, but also an interaction between Jesus and the Father, an act of devotion and an act of worship. And you may not have thought about Jesus' death in that way. So here, what is Jesus doing? He is giving his whole life up to his heavenly Father as an offering or sacrifice for us. He, according to the book of Hebrews, is both the the sacrifice, the offering, and the priest. He's the high priest who brings the offering to God, and the offering that he brings is himself, his own life offered completely to God for our sake. So let's go back to our imagined worshipper. I wonder what you thought of when you were thinking about your worshipper. Was it perhaps someone singing? Was it, uh, I don't know. But I wonder if it was Jesus. Was it Jesus? This is not meant to be a gotcha, right? It's just our thinking about worship is often separated in some way from the story of Jesus, but in fact, Jesus is the true worshipper who shows us what real worship is like. And he comes to offer a perfect worship for our sake. Uh, and in doing that, he, he doesn't just offer praises and thanks to God, though he does do that. He gives his whole life, everything about him, everything he has, everything is presented to God as his act of worship. And that's fulfilled in the giving his life to the point of death that that is the ultimate actual act of worship. So I wonder if any of you thought about Jesus on the cross as your image of worship. That, that's, just, that's just weird, isn't it? That's just a bit freaky, but it's, I think that must be true, that the greatest act of worship ever is Jesus giving himself to his Father for our sake. Behind this, uh, we need to think about the truth that Jesus really is a human being. So one of the things um, that Christians say about Jesus is that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Fully God and fully human. And this is difficult to understand, but from the Bible we can work out, we we have to say this about Jesus. We have to say this about him. And one of the things that when we speak to people who are not followers of Jesus or believers in Jesus, we're trying to convince them that Jesus really is God. Do you know what I mean? that's That's the tricky bit. They think that Jesus is human already and we're trying to convince someone that Jesus is also divine. He's also God's son. But for Christians, the thing that we tend to have trouble with actually is that God, that Jesus really is human. 
that he is fully human. And as a human being, he is a worshipper because that is what human beings are meant to be. And so that's what we see going on in the gospel. That's part of the good news that Jesus, a true human being, offered true and perfect worship to the Father for our sake. Okay, so what does that story mean, that that story about worship mean for us today? Well, first of all, I want you to see that it actually helps us begin to work towards an understanding of what true worship actually is, or a definition of worship, if you like. That is, I haven't really said anything so far about what worship is, and we, we just tend to assume But if Jesus is the true worshipper, then actually this pushes us to think about worship in this way, that what real worship is about is about a whole life, the whole of our lives offered to God. The whole of our lives offered to God. So not only what we do on Sunday, not only singing or prayers, but everything that we are and everything that we have And everything that we do, offered to God in worship. And so, worship is actually a bigger challenge than you might think. It's a bigger challenge in that it involves every aspect of our lives. And we'll come back to that and think about that in coming weeks. Secondly, we we now have a way to worship. We now have a way to worship. If human beings are kind of trapped in false worship... False worship, and if we're kind of trapped because we don't have pure hearts and clean hands, we can't truly worship God. What Jesus does is makes a way for us to be able to be true worshippers. He provides a way for us to be clean. He provides a way for us to be forgiven. He provides a way for our hearts to be washed so that we can, because of him, come to God and worship. And so... Uh, Jesus is actually the great worship leader. It's not just that he did once this great act of worship, but that he continues to be our high priest. He continues to be the worship leader. There's never been a better worship leader, and you don't need another worship leader uh, because Jesus is the one that we need. He truly worships God himself as an individual, but he is also a priest who calls us and invites us through him to also be true worshippers of God. And so we can say that real worship, true worship, Christian worship is worship with Jesus. You kind of come alongside Jesus and worship God with him because he's the worship leader. But since he alone is actually worthy to worship, we also say that our worship is in him. That is, he's the one who, he's really the only one who can come to God with confidence And so when we're joined together with Jesus, when we become part of him by faith, when we're in Christ, that's the way the New Testament talks about it, then we can also come to worship as part of Jesus, if you like, part of the body of Christ. There is, in the end, only one worshipper. It's Jesus, but we are part of Jesus by faith. And so we worship in him. And we can also say we worship God through him that he is the one who provides access to God for us. And so it's through Jesus that we come to God to worship. And our worship becomes acceptable to God through him. When I was a little boy, my grandfather 
uh, used to take me fishing. And my grandfather was a great fisherman. He loved fishing. And so now and then he would take me fishing with him. And he, he taught me to fish. But he didn't teach me to fish uh, by giving me my own kind of rod and reel or whatever and just saying, look, do what I do. Uh, for better or worse, what he did was he involved me in his own fishing. So he would take me and you know, he would show me the gear and he would demonstrate it for me, but then he would get me to do the same things, but he would sort of hold my hand and stand over me while I cast out, and so we cast out together, and so we caught fish together and reeled them in together, and it was fantastic because whenever I went fishing with Grandpa, we always, we always caught fish. It was great. I just thought that was what fishing was. Um, turns out it's not. <laughs> For those of us who are left gift, less gifted, it's not like that. Um, this, so look, in the end, he wanted me to become my own fisherman, so the analogy breaks down. But there was something, something worship-like about that. That is, I fished with him. I joined him in his fishing, and that's how I learned to fish. And so it is with Jesus, actually, we join him in his worship of the Father, and he will show us and teach us how to do it, and he will enable us to do it. I could never have fished on my own as a five-year-old or whatever, just not possible at all. But in and with and through my grandfather, I could fish. And so it is with worship. We can be worshippers too. This morning I saw a fantastic promotion for the Women's World Cup, Women's Football World Cup, which is coming up very soon. It's all very exciting. And there was a brilliant, like, it was like a two-minute long ad or promotion. Maybe it was a Nike ad, but it didn't say so. I'm not really sure. But anyway, it was a, it's a brilliant thing. And what it is, you might know that uh, football teams, when they go out onto the field will go out with a little mascot, a little kid. And, uh, you know, 11 kids walk out with the 11 players and stand in front of them during the anthems and all of this. It's very exciting for the kids. And um, so in this promotion, we see two World Cup teams going out to play a game and the, they've got all the little kids with them and at the appropriate moment, all the kids run off the field just as the game's about to start. But then one of the players reaches out and grabs her mascot and says, not so fast, you're coming with me. And the game starts and this player is dragging this girl, little girl around the field with her. It's like totally startling, it's the weirdest looking thing, right? And, dra- and the game is really intense and this kid is getting dragged around and, you know, to start with doesn't know what's happening but gradually sort of works it out and picks it up. Uh, kind of gets lost at one point and the player comes back and grabs her by the hand again and drags her around and they're, they're playing the game together. This is what Jesus does to you. He has grabbed you and made you his and you are joining him in the game. You, are, you have become a worshipper with him in his kindness and mercy. Uh, and he doesn't let go. He doesn't let go. That we will continue to worship in and with and through him forever. That is what God is doing for us in Jesus Christ, turning us into true worshippers, but not true worshippers on our own, but true worshippers with Jesus. And this is why it's so important that we 
gather together in Jesus' name. Uh, why we, this is why we pray in Jesus' name. I don't know, you may have wondered, why do Christians do that? They, they say, in Jesus' name at the end of prayers. And look, it's really not just a kind of pious thing. It's not just Christianese. You know, it's not just part of our subculture or something like that uh, that doesn't really matter. Actually, it really matters. I mean, God will hear your prayer through faith in Jesus, whether you say in Jesus' name or not. So I'm not, it's not about a f- particular formula. But it is important because that, that is really true, that we only gather in Je- we only expect uh, God to regard our gathering as true worship because it's in Jesus' name, because it's through Jesus. We only expect our prayers to be heard in Jesus' name because it's only through him that uh, God will hear us. In fact, our whole life is meant to be lived now in Jesus' name. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our lives are now to be lived in Jesus' name, our whole life, word and deed, worship of God in Jesus' name. So if you want to be a true worshipper of Jesus, uh, so if you want to be a true worshipper of God, then trust in Jesus. It's through belonging to him and being one of his people that you are able to be a worshipper and a true worshipper. And that even though uh, we are broken people, even though we still sin, even though we're tempted constantly by false worship and fall into it sometimes, our worship of God becomes true worship through Jesus. It's acceptable to God through him. He purifies what we do so that it is presentable to God and pleasing in his sight. If you want to be a true worshipper, Put your trust in Jesus. If you're someone who trusts Jesus already, then I want to say that you are, you are a true worshipper. And the challenge now is to just get better and better and better at being a worshipper and offering more and more and more of your life in every aspect to God in worship. And so that's what we'll be thinking about in coming weeks, how to get better and better at being worshippers. And as we do that, actually... You're doing something which is putting you in touch with what you were made for in the first place. You'll become more truly human. You'll become more truly you as you become a more and more devoted worshipper of God through Jesus Christ. Why don't we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son. We thank you so much that he worshipped you truly and completely in his life. And we thank you so much that we can be worshippers through him. We pray for our church and for each of us individually that you would grow us as your worshippers, that our lives might be a pleasing offering to you. And We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.